when you were a boy, you guys had an upright piano at the house. I'm wondering if you still had that piano, would you let Elton touch it or no? Uh, no. Well, the guests attacked the stage and started <laughs> dragging the leads out of the microphones and shutting the band up. And eventually the police were called. What's the proper way to make haggis? Oh, shit. Don't ask me that. Because one, I don't know. And two, you don't want to know. Do you have any roadies that you would never hire again? Probably, but I'm not going to say who they are. With working with a guy like Elton, I mean, what am I going to try and do? Upstage him in some way? I don't <laughs> think so. Hey, this is Party Like a Rockstar podcast, and I'm your host, Joel. Today's episode is brought to you by Misha's Kind Foods. They're an LA-based small business making the world's finest non-dairy cheese on the market today. They're lactose-free, paleo, keto, kosher, perev, and 100% vegan. If you like what you see, check out the next video. If you like this video, please subscribe and like by clicking the little round button on the bottom right. To learn more about me or our other guests on the show, go to joelrody.com. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok. The handle is joelrody. If you haven't already read my book, Memoir of a Roadie, it's now available through Amazon and paperback Kindle or as an audiobook. I hope you enjoy the show. Hey, Davey. Hey, man. How you doing? Well, well. Hi, Steve. Hi there. Hi, Davey. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Thank you. Okay. Steve Hackett is an English musician, singer, songwriter, and record producer. He gained prominence as the lead guitarist of the progressive rock band Genesis from 1971 to 1977. He's been working with Elton John since 1971. In addition, he's worked with Stevie Nicks, Joan Armatrading, Meatloaf, Alice Cooper, Hans Zimmer, B.B. King, Belinda Carlisle, Rod Stewart, Leo Sayer, and Olivia Newton-John. His album, Deeper Than My Roots, was released this year, and I urge you to listen to that. First question here is for Davey. And I listened in an interview. You said that when you were a boy, you guys had an upright piano at the house. I'm wondering if you still had that piano, would you let Elton touch it or no? Uh, no, that house is long gone. The piano is long gone. Uh, we're talking about in the mid 50s here when I was um, growing up in as a little kid in Edinburgh, Scotland. And um, my parents loved to have musical nights. They didn't actually play themselves. My, one of my sisters played a little bit. Actually, both of them played a little bit but they were 10 years and 12 years older than me, respectively. Uh, but, you know, my mom and dad love musical evenings. So occasionally, I mean, it's a big thing in Scotland. People love just getting up and belting out a song. They, usually they're pissed when they're doing it. They're half drunk. And, uh, <laughs> but it's a big thing. You know, I mean, you, you, if you know who, I'm sure Steve <laughs> knows who Billy Connolly is, but Billy's yeah. the past master of, of, of describing how the Scotsman who's very oh, drunk... Oh, very a very yeah. funny impression of, of, oh. of a drunken Scotsman. Yeah, indeed. There you go. Yeah. Have you guys met one another? I'm sorry. Have we haven't actually. We've never met. I mean, I've actually been in the States since 1983. I moved over here. Yeah. So I kind of lost touch with the British scene quite a lot, except when I was going back to work there. 
But no, we never did. But I'm a big fan of Steve's work. I really love your guitar playing, man. There's some wonderful things oh. over the years. Oh, listen, listen. I, I very much like your playing. I'm not just saying that. I think it's very, very good. Um, I'm aware of the things with Elton. Uh, I'm not aware of other things, but but that tells me that that it's 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 very very good. I I really loved uh, you know funeral for a friend or all of that you know that thing I thought was was great and um, the version of Lucy in the Sky I I, I like very much like the guitar work on that and many things. So you know, yeah. Well, we've got, we got Mutual Admiration Society here. I love that. What? Interesting. Yeah. I did a cheat today, too. I did a cheat where uh, I asked the fans this morning, but I asked them, you know, what questions would you have? Your fans just said, hi, Davey. <laughs> but, okay. but Steve got a few questions. Steve got a few. One of them I thought was interesting, and it's by a guy named Don No, and he asks, um, Davey takes a Hackett-like solo on I Feel Like a Bullet on Rock of the Westies. Are you conscious of that? Was that a, he would like to. I absolutely, I absolutely wasn't. And Steve is not going to get any of the, the royalties I got from playing on that. <laughs> that was the uh, trick. No, I wasn't actually. That was really a one-off thing with a, with a volume pedal, um, a, quite a long solo that, that it was one of those where you had to get kind of deep. And in those days, let's face it, in the mid seventies, we were all very deep into one thing or another. There's a lot of tomfoolery going on. Um, but yeah, I, I remember that solo. Um, but yeah, I honestly didn't do it to emulate Steve in any way, although I could have done. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm not, I'm not aware of, of what, what the song is. So I, I, I can't comment, but, uh, Here's um, another one. This one's for you, Steve. Mike Coombs, beautiful tone on the guitar solo and Firth of Fifth on Seconds Out. What was your rig? At that time, it was um, it was a Les Paul. It was um, a 1957 Les Paul, which I still have. Um, uh, the amps, I was using Roland Jazz Chorus amps at the time, probably using far too much chorus on everything. And um, uh, but that, you know, that's just, just the way it was. I think when chorus amps came out, everyone just sort of flooded their sound in, in that. So I've noticed that many things from that era seem to have, you know, excess chorus. And then uh, 1980s, early 1980s, lots of lots of chorus. Funnily enough, I'm thinking of doing something with the chorus sound now. And I can't even remember what the hell it was. But I thought, I know what it was. It was going back and doing something there's a genesis album which is foxtrot which we're going to be doing the whole of and i oh, used wow. two leslie cabinets leslie cabinets were pre um chorus units really forgetting that and tony banks who played keyboards with genesis had had two homemade um chorus units but they sounded great and if sorry uh uh leslie cabinet and yeah. and uh, if you use both of them at the same time it was a glorious sound and i'm and uh, I don't have chorus units. Uh, well, I've got chorus units, but I don't have the Leslie's to hand. No one's got those big things. So I'm, I'm probably going to do it with a with a chorus thing. That's so. great. Steve, I, I loved your Leslie work that you've done. I've heard it and I really, and I loved it, especially because I'm a huge Leslie fan as well. Yes. I've used on, you mentioned Lucy the other day. Uh, I used yeah. uh, so many things that I used on back in the day and I just loved the effect. 
Um, yes. We even got, um, we, we used um, the, the French violin, jazz violinist, Jean-Luc Ponty on, a, on an yes. album. And he put his violin, we showed him, because I had a little, one of those little guitar controllers where you plug it in, straight into the Leslie. And yes. uh, we had him do that with his violin. And he immediately was blown away and did the solo, right. one of the solos we wanted with that sound. But yeah, yeah, you and I used guitar, Leslie, a lot. I think my, I was copying, not copying, but I got that effect from, from George, really, from, from Harrison, because uh, yes. I was a big fan we of all, all the did. stuff he did. And yeah, yeah, I mean, the governor, you know, and such a great guy and a great player. And um, yeah, so we bought that. And also we're both kind of, well, I know I am, uh, I play lots of different kind of guitars, but Les Paul has always been my, standard that's always kind of what i'm known for i think yeah. i always know what i'm going to get with the les paul you know straight ahead yes. you can get yeah. that maniac sound straight away um yes yeah. yeah well it's a great sound i've i've been in recent years using fernandez um guitars mm -hmm. with the sustainer it's got the les paul shape but it's got the the sustainer and it's got some other sounds obviously that that you can't get with with a Les Paul, but but they're both they're both great guitars. Yeah. They're wonderful. Yeah. Um, uh, well, we we could probably talk guitars all day, couldn't we? <laughs> I know. <laughs> Go figure. Back to the questions. <laughs> Here's another one. David Smith on the song "Blue Part of the Town." What's the brand of the harmonica, and what did you put the harmonica through? Yeah, it's a blue part of town. I believe at that time I was using pv classic 50 amp and uh oh i think it was an akg 414 uh microphone but it is it, distorted and it has vibratos and uh, and it was pretty spontaneous and it was just accompanied by um julian colbeck on on uh, on piano doing a kind of roads sound so um yeah that, that thing kind of wrote itself it's it's a nice yeah. sound a harmonica is what I played years before guitar. I was doing 10 years of, of harmonica before I'd even touched a guitar. So that was, oh, wow. uh, as a kid, that was that was my go-to instrument. Sonny Boy Williamson? Yeah, absolutely love Sonny oh, Boy Williamson. So and um, I got to spend some time with um, Larry Adler, funnily enough, um, oh, a couple wow. of occasions, which was very nice because he was a childhood hero of mine. But I, I was blown away in the mid-60s when I saw Paul Butterfield, Paul Butterfield band with um, the blues band with um, uh, with Mike Bloomfield and Elvin Bishop. Oh, Cooper. Yes. Yeah, and 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 he was an absolute master of, of, of blues harmonica. It sounded it sounded like a guitar. It sounded like a trumpet. It was this tiny little instrument. He could get so many tones out of it, and just had great vibrato and fabulous control. Yeah. Okay, a couple last ones here. Dorian, Marcel. Uh, favorite album is Please Don't Touch. It's going to be the 45th anniversary next year. Any intentions of revisiting the album because it is his, it's his favorite? Well, in recent years, I've been revisiting a lot of Genesis stuff. And uh, so, you know, this year, it's, it's 50 years ago that we did a mere 50 years ago that it was Foxtrot. So I'm, I'm, I'm basically going to be taking that, that out um, as of a couple of weeks time. So um, I don't know. I, I, I'd forgotten that anniversary might be coming up, you know, 45 years of, of please don't touch. Um, there are things on it. That I, I, I tell you what I love doing. I don't know if, if either of you ever met Richie Havens, but 
he sang a couple of songs on that because um, he was on one of the Genesis shows back back in the day and um, once or twice. And uh, I, I invited him over when he was in London, when he was supporting us. And um, um, he was just wonderful to work with. He was um, he was absolutely glorious, very unstarry, very larger than life, but in, insisted on traveling in the back of the van when he was picked up at the airport. He'd flown from New York to L.A., and I swear we had him straight in the studio that day and he was learning stuff and it was about three in the morning. And he said, have you got any more songs? I said, you must be tired by now. You've just flown in. And he said, no, I don't get tired. And we did another song on the spot and it was just wonderful. He was mind bendingly quick on the uptake and he kind of just took control. That was my album. He took control of the, of the sessions, he just said, oh, you know, you want me to sing it? Why don't you come out on the studio floor and play guitar? And we, we're just three feet away from each other. And it's a bit like God looking to you for approval with that glorious voice yeah. that he that he had, you know. And mm-hmm. so the most amazing experience of working with a singer was, was working with him. He was um, just something else. That's neat. Okay, the last fan question, which I think is a good question for both of you guys. Brian Birch, and he asks, um, did you ever meet Alan Holdsworth, and would you have collaborated with him? I didn't meet him, but I'm a huge, I was a big fan of him. Uh, never met him, although my roadie, funnily enough, back then in the in the 70s, Steve Viduris was a massive Holdsworth fan. And Steve's actually one of those, one of those um, daunting guitar techs or roadies that you have who plays so well. You know, and then you think, oh, Christ, you know, what am I going to do now? He's going to hand me a perfectly in tune guitar. I better be good, you know. Um, but he was a massive uh, Alan Holdsworth fan. And, of course, my thing back then was more uh, John McLaughlin because I was a massive fan of the Mahavishnu Orchestra uh, when they first came out. I remember being uh, around at Paul Buckmaster's house. He used to have a music evening at his place in Barnes. Um, and he would play albums. And there was always musicians who were there gathering around listening to the next album by whoever. One was by the Mahavishnu Orchestra, Inner Mounting Flame, which is just an amazing album. And the other one was James Brown, Sex Machine. So mm-hmm. it was a very wide, eclectic. We were listening to everything. It wasn't like you didn't listen to one thing because that wasn't cool or whatever. You listened to absolutely the whole thing. Yeah. And that's what I loved about music back then. That some of that seems to have been lost, I feel. Um, because, you know, when I used to come to the States the first couple of times, I was amazed by FM radio because you would get maybe a, a Johnny Mitchell track and then you'd get a Hendrix track straight after it. And then you'd get something entirely different, maybe the Beach Boys or something. Um, I love that idea. And I still actually search out radio stations who play everything and who are not just trying to pigeonhole music all the time. Because unfortunately, I think that's become a, a dangerous thing. That's tends to, to what, what, what's happened with music, in my opinion, yeah. has been a lot of pigeonholing in that way, and it's sad to see. Did, did you ever meet um, Gary, did, uh, sorry, Gary Husband, who, who, who plays you know, piano with, with, with him, plays keyboards with John McLaughlin, and also drums with Level 42? I don't know how that's humanly possible, but I wondered if you, <laughs> Davey, whether you'd ever met john mclaughlin yourself as a, oh as a yeah yeah because, oh, yeah because he's also he's also from scotland so you know 
Uh, at that time, the John was, it was Jan Hammer was his keyboard player back then. That was the ridiculous yeah. band. Yeah. Uh, but no, I never met Dave. I don't think. And Jerry Goodman, I wonder. I wonder if he had yeah. met him because you know, oh, yeah, such yeah. a phenomenal violin uh, yeah. uh, uh, guy. You know, I, I know that Gary had worked with with him as well. So, um, and I think there's that Scottish connection. Um, yes. But uh, you're quite right that that um, that uh, Mahavishnu were were a big influence. Um, it was myself and Phil Collins and Chester Thompson. We would be sitting around listening to Inner Mountain Flame and and um, and all the rest. And um, I like the one with, with orchestra, the... Um, Firebirds, was that? Uh, well, now, what, it's, it's, another, it's another one, one produced by George Martin, and um, it's got ah. um, Vision is a Naked Sword on it, and Jean-Luc Ponty is on it, funnily enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think it's called Apocalypse, funnily enough. And... Um, so Genesis wasn't the only band to name something Apocalypse. <laughs> um, and, um, yeah, that was... Um, I loved hearing what orchestra... Mike Gibbs had done orchestrations. Lovely to hear what he'd done with stuff that was plainly written on, on guitar, that suddenly right. handed over to orchestra. Arpeggiated guitar stuff, guitar picking, suddenly an orchestra doing it. Sounded yeah. absolutely wonderful, and I very nearly worked with, with Mike... But I never met John, and uh, I always think it would be nice just to pay homage, and we're not Absolutely. really all the rest. Yeah. yeah, and I notice he's playing a gig uh, coming up fairly soon here in California. So I'm, I think I'll be gone already, but I always keep a lookout for where he's playing because I loved all his stuff all the way through Shakti and the different and the stuff with mm. Carlos Santana, which was wonderful. Uh, just yes. a brilliant mind and a very very. Such a modest and amazing guy, super sweet, you know. And the stuff with Miles Davis too, which is yeah. very, very interesting. Right. Um, tracks like Little Church, where mm. they're all, I think, maybe they were all using Wawa or something, but you can't tell. Right. As each instrument announces itself, it seems, you know, around that era, you can't really tell what's coming in. Is it keyboard? Is it, you know, is it guitar? Yeah. Is it trumpet? I think that idea that people were talking about that he, um, Miles wanted to work with Hendrix and right. um, a shame that that never happened. Oh, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, it's a great sound though, right? I think a lot of people, you and I obviously were into it back then. But I loved especially the fact that the guitar top line and whatever theme they were into, um, obviously the violin would be playing the same thing and possibly Jan Hammer would be playing the same thing, same thing on the synth. Yes. So as yep. you say, the collaboration of those instruments, it was hard to discern which was which, but it really reminded me a lot of Irish traditional music. That's what made my ears prick up because it reminded me of that, that lovely mix you get with penny whistle and violin and, yeah. uh, and banjo and that when you get, you know, so it's awesome. I love that thing with, yeah. with uh, different instruments together. So I was um, looking into you, Davey, or, well, John kind of clued me and John Mann, but um, trying to piece together. So you were a street busker in Scotland for a bit. And then the question was, did you, did Elton buy you your first electric guitar? He, he was saying on Honky Chateau around that era, he didn't know if you had a guitar that you. What? I know. He, he, it's, it's one of those stories that he, he even actually tells it on stage. 
So it's kind of like a big white lie, quite honestly. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, I'd only dabbled, quite honestly, quite truthfully, with electric guitar when I played with a folk rock band called Magna Carta for about a year before I joined Elton. Yeah. Um, but I was originally brought in to play acoustic guitar on Madman Across the Water. That, that was the title track. And um, I was a friend of Gus Dudgeon. And there were some great acoustic guitar players, obviously. There always are brilliant acoustic players back then. Um, but I believe they tried it with Mick uh, Ronson and they tried it again with um, Michael Chapman, who was an extraordinary acoustic player, a wonderful guy from, um, he was from Yorkshire somewhere out there in, in uh, Halifax or something. Um, but they actually suggested me. They both, I've never had that happen before where other musicians said, you should get Davey for that. And that's what happened. You know, I, I went in as a young, you know, 20-year-old, going what, what's this and you know I didn't even know who Elton John was so but anyway I met this guy Reg and they asked me to come up with something for this this piano intro that he had and I played something and he said that's it we love it and that was kind of how I got into it but I wasn't you know uh playing electric guitar on a regular basis at that point it was just once or twice in a set with Magna Carta so I had a strat I had an old strat that I took with me to the chateau when we went to make the first album with Elton because there was no rehearsal I mean, we're talking, he never rehearses to this day. I mean, I do all the rehearsals for the band nowadays, have done for the last God, 40 years probably. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I, there was no rehearsal. So I just showed up with my Strat, my mandolin, my banjo, a couple of acoustic guitars and a Spanish guitar. And that was it. And, um, you know, so lots of double tracking, lots of fun. But it also changed. Um, you know, he bought me my first Les Paul that I'd actually picked out for him in Manny's in New York City, which I'm sure... Steve knows about it's a great amazing store and um it's gone now unfortunately but but um I picked out the guitar he wanted to get buy a guitar and I said well that's the one you should get and it was like a 71 deluxe um Les Paul three pickups and amazing and um I actually still have that one to this day uh but yeah it's uh, interesting how we all get our starts in different ways my my initial my, my my biggest instruments back then I was known as actually a tenor banjo player because it was folk music, that's how I came up. Uh, and knew a lot of the guys who were to become members of other bands, like yeah. Dave Swarbrick joined Fairbrook Convention, and Rick Wakeman joined Yes. You know, we were all mates in the kind of folkish scene. And um, so it's wonderful how all that, all that sprouted and made sense in the early 70s. Were you street busking for a while? or Actually, no, I did that for a laugh. Um, uh -huh. You know, I did that with Peter Knight from Steel Ice Fan. Uh, before we were, you know, doing anything, we were just hanging out together, having fun. But we weren't skint or anything. We weren't broke. But we went uh, with our banjo and our violin uh, down to the, you know, Marble Arch and down at the, the, down the tube station. And we, until we got moved on, we'd stand there and play. And we actually made quite a bit of money. You know, so we'd go and have a curry and then go home. It was brilliant. <laughs> That's good. Um, what's the proper way to make haggis? Oh, shit. Don't ask me that. Because one, I don't know. And two, you don't want to know. It involves <laughs> sheep's intestines and a lot of dodgy ingredients. So watch out. <laughs> All right. So, Steve, uh, so you're in Quiet World and uh, you're yes. playing with your brother, I read. And um, yep. so you, they get Phil Collins. A couple months goes by. You, you fall into the fold. And basically, yeah. you and Mike Weatherford just kind of, I guess you could say, hit it off on a musical note. Um, what did your brother do? during the time you were with Genesis? Because he, he came back with you when you started doing solo albums. 
That's right. Well, John um, was learning flute. He was also, a, a, you know, a, a really good guitarist, as it happens. But uh, he and I both bought a flute after we'd seen, um, it was Ian MacDonald uh, of King Crimson oh, who in, inspired us both to buy a flute. But after three weeks, I think I, I just gave up, went back to guitar and harmonica, of course. But he um, made it his lifelong profession. And um, uh, I can't remember what the question was now. It's getting late here. But there we <laughs> oh, go. Oh, sorry. It's, so it was... Um... Hey, one, one thing begets another, I guess. What did he you do know? while you were in Genesis those years? Yeah, that's right. That's Well, he uh, was more studious than me. He went to Cambridge to study languages. Now... Oh, cool. Um, in 1975, he wasn't very happy. I visited him in, in Cambridge, and I think he felt um, it, it wasn't really where he wanted to be. So I said to him, well, I'm going to make an album. Do you want to be part of it? Do you want to be on it? This was going to be my first solo album. And I thought, I don't know how it's going to go. I might come out with a bunch of outtakes, or I might come out with a finished album. As it happens, I was probably more prepared for that than any other album I've ever done. No. I was so worried it would fail. As it happened, it did okay. And uh, he played wonderfully on it. It was his professional debut. And um, shortly after that, he he went to, to music college. He was also playing gigs with me. He, he relocated to Sheffield. He was at college there doing music. He was much more happy. He was in my band for... Um, a couple of years so you know we we basically toured the uk europe the states yeah, um, and that was that was great yeah wonderful and he's still doing that and he has his own own band now just to say you know he has the john hackett band and they've got a phenomenal guitarist from there with that called nick fletcher who's an amazing jazz rock furiously fast player and uh, i'm very pleased with john that he's doing gigs he did a gig with focus the other day, they did a festival together, oh, wow. and that—I'm very pleased for John that he's that he's got that, and his band's getting good reviews, and uh, yeah. very very happy for him. Were there any other guitarists that you knew of other than Ronnie Carl? Is that correct, Carl? That were uh, trying to be in Genesis other than you at the time? Any company? Any uh, competitor? Well, they 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 had somebody. Uh, now, my predecessor really in Genesis was Anthony Phillips. Ant Phillips and Ant wrote a lot of the really great songs that Genesis had around about the time of Trespass, the album they did before I joined. Um, now they had another guy called Mick and Mick Varnard that he had been with them for a few months, but they weren't happy with him. I I gather because the story I heard was that he didn't want to play twelve string, and I I had to sell a twelve string in order to buy my first Gibson you know, big borrow or steal. And it was, you know, that was, that was terrible to have to say goodbye to it. But joining Genesis, suddenly I was, I was able to get a Les Paul, a stack, high watt stack. And, and uh, I think it was a, it might've been a Hagstrom 12 string, something like that. It was, it was great to be fully kitted up. And mm. then I was unlucky enough to have uh, two Les Pauls stolen. Oh. In the early days of Genesis, and then a few years later, an another one was stolen, um, oh. and it, it was always it was always the same in in transit from one gig to another, something would happen, and so, um, um, you know, that's uh, 
that's a dangerous habit to have, isn't it? I don't know if you have you lost any guitars at all, Davy. I, I really have. As soon as I heard you saying that, I, my heart just dropped for you, man. Um, yeah, we had a, a we had one, but it was just extraordinary. They stole the whole truck. It was um, we'd done a gig in Sheffield, and mm. the guy who was driving the equipment back to London um, was in, under strict instructions, of course, not to stop. But I kept round about Birmingham. He got too tired or something, and he went into this bed and breakfast or something, left the truck out and some, and he was being followed. He had no idea, of course, you know. But yeah. in that hall, they got a, a bunch of things. They got, um, first of all, they, they got an old gold top, Les Paul, which I got in Nashville from George Gruen's shop. And um, it was just a phenomenal guitar. It was on many of the stuff that we'd done. And this was in 74, this robbery. So they got right. that. I also had the third Fender mandolin ever made. Uh, the, the, the code was 0003. Uh, that was, the, you know, and D had two beautiful old, uh, one precision and one jazz bass stolen the same thing. And they took, a, they grabbed a couple of Nigel's toms for good measure. And they took my, also my Gibson mandolin, which was a hundred years old. So, so when you get that kind of a thing happen, what it did to me actually, it immediately put me off buying any more vintage stuff, uh, even right. though, which is interesting, when I think about it, a lot of the stuff that I was playing back then, for instance, the old Strat that I had and a couple of other things, they're all vintage now because it's been, you know, yes. 50 odd <laughs> yes. years since, we, since I had them. But no, it put me off the idea of collecting because I love these instruments so much right. and it really tore me apart when I lost them. I know, I know what you mean. And there's that terrible story of um, also of Eric Clapton with John Mayall's Blues Breakers, the, the Beano album, which is seminal yes. for, for guitarists. That yeah. was stolen apparently shortly after the sessions had happened. That, that beautiful tone, that incredible sound. Yeah. Um, and Eric, I believe, said um, it felt like he was playing two, playing two guitars when he was playing that. It must have mm. felt, felt very alive. Yeah, it's why I think it's it's so criminal. I don't think the thieves really have an idea. They, they're missing out on the whole part of it that is important to us. Not only is yeah. it, are they the tools of our trade, but yeah. there's a, this, we've turned them into something really special. They're part of our body, obviously, because that's what we've made them. You know, uh, yeah. so it, it's a it's a really horrible vocation. I know, like about five or six years ago, um, actually more. It's more like ten now. Tom Petty had all his guitars stolen uh, really? from, a, a, from a, a storage unit here in L.A. They oh, got wow. them back. They got them back, amazingly enough, because he offered to pay uh, more. But um, they found the guys who, who had done it. And um, they took them into a pawn shop, I think. Yeah, they're just stupid. You know, what? They don't, they're fucking idiots, obviously. But, you know, um, it's very, very, I'm just glad that they got all those great old 12 strings of Toms and a couple mm. of Mike Campbell's uh, Duesenbergs, which are great guitars. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. When I was first putting this podcast together, my friends have children now in elementary school. My friend's daughter said that I should ask every guest when they first felt famous. And so I ask each of you guys, when did you first feel famous? If fame isn't, uh, I don't know, a way you want to answer the question or whatever. When was there a moment in your career that spawned something within you to really focus and move on? What would each of you guys choose as your moments? 
Oh, from a fifth oh, no. grader. So. Go on, Steve. Yeah. Lead the way. Right, right. Uh, uh, um, I don't know. I don't think you ever really feel famous. You know, when you're at an airport and you're just another guy queuing up with everybody else, it certainly has been the case in my life, you know. Um, so I'm not sure. I, I think that flame, fame, flame is 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 extremely fleeting. Someone might recognize you on the way to the gig because there's a vested interest. Someone's coming to the show, but you know, I I I can I can walk down the street any any day of the week and, and no one's going to go, you know, that's that's him, you know. I, I mean, it happens occasionally, but um, uh, I've I've never sought out fame. Wouldn't it be wonderful to be able to sell? records without being famous unfortunately it's part of the game isn't it mm, authors mm, yeah. like yourself and you've had success you know this is the thing um no one's expecting you you know no one's going to confuse you with with the product they're going to buy mm. the product because they like the product but yeah there's this thing about you know artists you know you you buy it because you're in love with them, you know, this whole sort of cult of personality, all of that. But, you know, the work is separate from me. I make a noise for a living. That's what I do. Yeah. Uh, but, um, you know, it's not as if um, I'm Gregory Peck. Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> well, I tell you what, I know exactly what you're saying, Stephen. I, I'm afraid I'm, I have a, a very like-minded way, way of thinking about it. I've never been a fame seeker at all. Because, you know, for, there's one very important reason. I mean, with working with a guy like Elton, I mean, <laughs> what am I going to try and do? Upstage him in some way? I don't <laughs> think so. And that's never been my, my aim. Because, you know, especially with, with my career with Elton, for example, because some people, quite a lot of people know who I am. And it's very nice when they ask me stuff or they, you know, I might see somebody in, in maybe in the grocery store, the, the supermarket, and they'll say, oh, you know, I loved what you did on this album. And, and they're very nice to me. They're very kind, you know, and, and that to me is the whole deal. If somebody's going to come up and say something nice, you know, because that's fine. I've never been a fame seeker because it would be stupid at one point. Uh, I do understand also, as Steve was, was um, intimating, it was about today, especially with, you know, all the social media platforms. Um, I started doing Instagram this January because... My daughter, who's a designer and a wonderful artist, mm -hmm. and she said, you know, Dad, you've got to do this. Because when you sit around the house occasionally playing guitar, you should just have, have, your mom, have mom film you or something. And, you know, but anyway, I got really good at it. So I now post something on Instagram probably twice a week. Wow. You know, maybe something I've just written or something that somebody on Instagram, a follower has asked me to play. For example, there was a guitar solo I did in the late 80s on an album called Red Strikes Back. It was uh, one of the last Elton, uh, Elton albums before he, he got sober. Uh, it's great album, some great stuff on it. And there was a song called A Word in Spanish. So one of the followers of my Instagram page uh, asked me, would you play the solo for A Word in Spanish? And I thought, oh, fuck, that's a hard one. And I thought, am I going to get it in one take? Because... I didn't actually get it in one take when I did it, the original solo with Chris Thomas. Um, it was a whole take of 20 bars. And then it was like, I had to drop in for the last flourish, which was on Spanish guitar. Um, but yeah, it, it's a thing that 
Instagram I'm, I'm really enjoying because I feel that I'm in touch now with people who like our music and who mm. like what I've done. And it's much more casual. It's not something creepy. Um, yeah. They can't get at me in any way. And it, it's actually quite fun. So I'm enjoying that. And I'm seeing, I'm seeing how much it's helped my daughter's uh, career with her, her, as a designer, for example. And it's great for me to, to be in touch with our, our fans. And they ask me stuff and I try and answer as honestly as I can. So my favorite one then, uh, any gigs stand up in mind that were like funny one-offs, odd places to play at or whatever? John Mann, for example, you guys had done one in Russia for a wedding and you're in a strip club and he had to play around the strip pole because there was no room on the stage. Is there any uh, gigs that stand out to each of you guys that are that are funny, worth telling? Well, I can think of one. I, I remember um, there was a band called Canterbury Glass, and they wanted me to join them as a, as a guitarist. And I, I used to go, go up and play a few solos with them and at harmonica. And they were booked to play a wedding. And this was at a place called the Four Feathers Club, um, just off of Edgware Road near the, uh, the tube station in London. Okay. And um, it became apparent as the evening or the afternoon wore on that it was a shotgun wedding, that the bride was pregnant and that the guy had been forced to marry her. And really, they should have booked a band. You know, it was the era of The Last Waltz, the song rather than the film. Um, <clears throat> and Engelbert Humperdinck, they, they should have had something like that people could dance to and smoke <laughs> to. And all that. Instead of which, they booked this band called Canterbury Glass. <laughs> and... Um, um, they weren't happy with the band's music. You know, they were playing some originals and what have you. Anyway, I'd maybe just done a harmonica solo and I was just watching from out front because there was a stage and um, th they were saying, oh, can't you play something else? The band And the band were getting very unhappy and the, and the band on stage decided to have a freak out and they started getting the microphones and they were running it up and down the, the speaker columns and creating feedback noises and, you know, trying to do something that, that plainly the who did better and more professionally and shouldn't have even gone anywhere near it. Anyway, the audience <laughs> or the guests attacked the stage and started <laughs> dragging the leads out of the microphones and shutting the band up. And eventually the police were called, etc. And I would, watching all this from a distance thinking you know this is like a scene from the wild west it's um <laughs> you know i hope no one's going to turn on me you know I'm, <laughs> no i'm not with the band <laughs> yeah <laughs> i'm only the harmonica player <laughs> yeah really yeah Brilliant. No, 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 no. they owe me money <laughs> well, that's classic no i we had one we had one that was just ridiculous i mean we've had lots of weird gigs i mean we've played on the the top of mountain uh, of a mountain in, in uh, Innsbruck. I mean, we played in uh, another top of another mountain in in uh, Malaysia. I mean, ridiculous gigs. I don't I don't know who thinks of these things, you know. Uh, and here's a classic. All right, we were booked to play. Um, there's a gig called the Love Ride. I don't know if you know what that is, but every year the Harley Davidson oh, motorcycle sure. organization. They have a thing called the Love Ride. So all these big, giant, tough bikers uh, and whatever, and all their girlfriends and all the rest of it, they all rolled into Milwaukee, where it was. And now we 
for fuck knows why, were, were the band who were booked to play at this event, right? Now I had heard, and I'm going like, why do they want us to play there? They're going to, you know, it's like, we are not the band to be, to be on stage here. And I'd heard a glimmer that maybe one of the artists uh, they picked would be the Stones. Uh, another one would have been um, Aerosmith. Now, both those choices would have been fantastic and absolutely spot on. But anyway, we were it. <laughs> so comes the gig and we'd all been woken up first thing in the morning by the sound of, you know, about 10,000 Harleys, you know, revving into this, the, the theater. And we get to the gig and um, there was a, a curtain for some reason of this auditorium we were playing. And um, we got on stage, we're ready to go, the curtains open and the bikers all see us as we were going into our first number, I forget what it was. And they look at, they see Elton and they go, fuck off, <laughs> get, no way, get off the fucking stage, we don't want this, you know, we, it was hilarious. And, you know, we were all just, like, oh my God, this is great. But what we did was, so let's just play like Saturday Night's Right for Fighting straight away. So we did that, we went into Saturday night and then we played the bitches back and then they kind of come, oh, all right, this is okay. So we, <laughs> we kept that, we suddenly put all these rockers and took all the tuneful melodic things out of the set. But it was it was a classic case of wrong band for this occasion, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, my friend Rocco Reedy's question, which I asked in the last one, and I really liked it, was a Carmina Peace was in the last one, and I asked it. It was a who um, who's the most interesting um, person you've ever met who's not a rock star? Oh my god. Uh, Princess Margaret. Oh, wow. Wow. How about that? Can't top yeah, that no. one. No, that's crazy. I think, I think you've won that one. Yeah. Where yeah, did you meet her then? How was she? We, we, we met her several times. Um, when I was with Magna Carta, we, got, uh, we were playing a Save the Children concert with the Beach Boys in the Albert Hall in London. And that's her charity, Save the Children. That's, that was what she was most known for. And she was a tremendously kind lady anyway. So we played there with Magna Carta and afterwards we got invited back to Kensington Palace to go and hang out with her and uh, Tony, <laughs> Lord Snowden, sorry, and all these various, you know, snooty aristocrats who were there. Uh, and I got to, to, it was quite nerve wracking in a way because the food they were serving was chicken curry. So I went and got my chicken curry just as I've got my rice with the curry on top. Davy Johnstone, Princess Margaret would like to talk to you. And I'm like, oh, and I'm holding this plate of curry. And I'm going, well, and he said, no, bring it with you. It's okay. So I, I, I sit down on this little stool because you've always got to be below her in height. You can't be above her in height. So I'm sitting on this little stool so with my plate of chicken curry. And she goes, Sarah, wonderful music. And she's talking to me about the set. And she was really knowledgeable and really cool, you know. And she's she was aware of the fact that I was having difficulty balancing this plate with a chicken leg and curry on it. And she said, pick it up, pick it up. And I was like, and from then on, we were kind of like friends because I started laughing because I thought it was hilarious when she said that. <laughs> and fast forward a couple of years later, when Elton, I just joined Elton's band and we were opening the Shaw Theatre in London. And she was again, one of the patron saints of that, one of the saints of that. So she was coming in with Roger Moore and these people like that and all these big stars and everything. And, and 
Elton was introducing the band to her. And it comes to me and Elton says, yes, and this is my guitar player, Davey. And she goes, oh, I know Davey. That's fine. And Elton was most put out. He didn't like that at all. Because <laughs> I didn't let on, obviously. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, it's very good. It's very good. Oh, dear. Yeah. Good one. That's great. Do you have any in mind, Steve? Oh, God, you know, I'm just trying to think. I... I did know a number of actors at, at one time, and it was through a guy called Ralph Bates, who um, uh, was... Yeah. Did you know Ralph Bates? Yeah. I, I never mean, knew him, but I loved what he was doing. <laughs> right. Well, Ralph was, was extraordinary. He was an extraordinary actor. And um, I just... Because I, I met so many actors through him, you know, lots of yeah. lots of famous actors. And um, the, the lovely thing about him and, and, and his wife. I mean, he's no, no longer of this earth. But um, uh, I was living nearby. They, they had an antique shop um, nearby. I was living in Princedale Road off of Holland Park Avenue in London. And um, um, as I befriended them, and they realised I was on my own a lot of the time. Um, and uh, they invited me around every every Sunday I became part of the family and they, it seems as if they took in all the strays, you know, around that area area. So they would regularly have 10 people in, you know, whether they were musicians or they were, you know, owners of carpet shops nearby. So there was all of that, but then, you know, they would have actors and you you'd bump into people all the time um, that were either working or out of work. And, um, some hugely famous, some you, you wouldn't know. Others, there were a lot of people who'd been involved with the Hammer horror movies. Mm. And I got mm. to meet the whole team. There was Jimmy Sangster, who often wrote and directed and just did everything with these things. And they turned them around very, very quickly. And they still look very, very good, uh, those, those movies. So lots mm. of vampire movies and Frankenstein movies and all this kind of stuff. And uh, it was fascinating to me because I remember going to see those things when I was a young kid, underage, getting into the cinema, seeing these things that had an X-rated certificate. And uh, and it was great to be able to uh, meet the people that have put that mm. stuff together. So sure. it was an introduction to a, a world of theatre outside and another kind of entertainment. And um, I just used to sit there spellbound as they would tell stories and go into their act. And I used to think, well, I think I'm an entertainer, but look at these people, you know, they can do it with their voices, with their, yeah. Yeah. With, their with their hands. They can go into impressions and do, and do things. And it's, it was extraordinary to me. You know, I felt really, you know, so introverted by comparison to them. Steve, did you know, did you ever know Ray Cooper? Our percussionist. Yes, I've met Ray Cooper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lovely guy. Ray's yeah. Ray's one of those guys who comes from theatre, you know. And... Yes, I think he said that to me. Yeah, I saw him with. Uh, I think I might have seen him with Rick Wakeman. Okay. Yes. Yeah. What a what a, what a character, and uh, he's yeah. still totally steeped in that in that theatrical way of life. He still dresses yes. like he's come from the 1940s or something. It's unbelievable. And yeah. it's just a great guy. But yeah, he does a lot of, um, you know, he worked with George with Handmade Films. 
And yes, he did a lot of the yeah. Python stuff and then the ones That's after. Right, yes. So, yeah, a huge yeah. theatrical thing. I, it's so closely linked, but I love hearing the stories of, yeah. of oh, these yeah. people. Yes. Yeah. He's incredible and, 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 and impressive. Even with just a tambourine, the man could be impressive. How is it possible <sighs> to be impressive? I've only seen two people who are impressive with a, a tambourine. And one's him. And uh, the other one is Ayeto Marrera, who can do a, a drum solo on one tambourine in front mm. of the mic. Broadly. Wow. Yeah, because he can get all these different tones out of it. Uh, but um, but Ray is, is fabulous and fabulous um, uh, 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 percussionist. Now, you mentioned uh, Python. Monty Python was signed to the same label as Genesis. Um, it was Charisma Records, yeah. Tony Stratton Smith, yeah. who had yeah. managed The Nice, and he'd also managed uh, Bonzo Dog Doodle Band, which <laughs> I think was, was the comedy connection with all those guys and um yeah the bonzos had some, a lot of funny stuff yeah oh man um if so you guys did carpet crawlers in 1999 if that was to be the genesis swan song because of phil collins's unfortunate ailing health which i'm not trying to make it a negative thing i'm not but would you uh would you say that would be a fine swan song for genesis that recorded uh, Carpet crawls. Uh, well, that version of it was re-recorded, and um, I mean, I do it live. I know Genesis did it live with their recent tour. That re-recording has got about two notes on it from me, and I'd, I'm not even sure that the band's on it. You know, it's it's one of those. It was a production, mm. and um, and so I, for me, it smacks of the corporate corporate things so i'm i'm not sure that I, I, no one has written to me and said what a great version that was i think fans either prefer the original or they prefer something that's perhaps more authentic and less corporate got it and so I, i've got a different take on it you know what what i would well i mean i have re-recorded it and it's about to come out again funnily enough <laughs> on a live album i'm gonna go inside all these copies tomorrow so uh, did you ever um, go to any of the mike and mechanic shows I did, yes. I, I saw him when it when he had the hit with Living Years. Yeah. And, um, yes. I mean, it's got to be neat for you guys when, you know, you're chums, you're friends, and you hear these masterpieces coming from them, and you're like, good job. I mean, wow. It's It's got to be exciting to see your brothers in arms do so well. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I think Elton's fantastic as well, you know. I mean, there's, there's no doubt about it. You know, it's... Uh, extraordinary level of energy um, well, you said and i watched a really good interview you did davy and, and he he said to you said you know elton wanted to be the biggest rock star in history and i mean he's pretty much got to the point of that it's remarkable yeah, he, when you think of it he, he did pretty much achieve what he set out to do i think more interestingly interestingly was the fact that he's been able to sustain it and maintain that level of of um brilliance in his live music when he's up on stage live i've never heard him sing out of tune for example i've never heard him play a shit no i mean he's a monster uh, he just keeps doing it really well um yeah he became the biggest rock star in the world and then and there's so many of them now obviously but um you know i know we're it's interesting now that we're touring uh for the last uh it's the last 10 months now of our touring career so next uh next july middle of july next year we'll be done touring that'll be it and i'm going to go back to um 
doing my own stuff, my own writing and working yeah. for other people and producing other people and stuff. Um, yeah. But it's been a great ride. As far as actors, I might have been told that you had met Steve McQueen at one point. And uh, is there any, how did you meet him and, and Paul Newman too? Are there, are, uh, is there any good stories was, wrapped up with those guys? Because Steve McQueen's stuff is kind of neat. Oh, he, he was absolutely brilliant. Because obviously, I mean, I was a huge fan. Uh, and also he was with Ali McGraw at the time. And we were in El Paso playing the second or third concert of my first tour. So 1972, it'd be like March or something. And we were in Waco, Texas. And we started in Waco. Then we went to Houston. Then we went to El Paso. And Steve McQueen was shooting The Getaway there with Sam Peckinpah, the famous director, the famous nuts out of his mind director. And uh, we went along. We were invited to go along and watch them doing a couple of scenes. And, and it was at the time when, uh, you know, those electronic blood things when they exploded when the guy would shoot and the guy the whole front of the guy's jacket would be covered in blood Squib. and blow up you know Squib, and Peckinpah was the first he was the main guy to start doing that that kind of stuff so we got to watch that and it was great and we got to hang out with Steve and Ali who was a sweetheart uh, I see her occasionally because she lives in California mm-hmm. and um and they both came to the, the show that night they both came and he was sitting in the front row rolling up some joints and smoking, you know, having a great time. He was a lovely, lovely man. We adored him. Yeah. 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 What is the Paul Newman? Um, Paul Newman. I had never met Paul Newman. I would love to have loved him. I think he's my favorite actor. Cool Hand Luke is just so neat. That's so tough. I don't know. So many great ones. I mean, I'm a huge actor, movie buff. I just love movies and all that stuff. Just love it. Yeah, yeah, me too. More and more. I don't know. I like the music stuff better personally, but I've been listening to you guys all week. It's been a pretty good week for me. I've been walking oh. around in a very good mood. <laughs> so thank you to both of you. Uh, if you have any other stories that you want to share, please, 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 or any questions for each other, go for it. I thought this was a thing about roadies. The witch? I thought this was a talk about roadies. Am I uh, ro- the- Wait, do you have any roadies that you would never hire again? <laughs> Uh, probably, but I'm not going to say who they are. They yeah, exactly. Yeah, probably. Next tour. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, we, we, uh, we'll get back yeah. at you. We'll get back at you. <laughs> yeah. No. Well, they. I, I have to say, of course, uh, people may not be aware of this, but road crews work far harder, you know, because they're part of the setup and the breakdown long after the the act has been on and shot his or her bolt and. Mm. Um, but the crew there, uh, you know, we, we just did a place, which I think you guys did, which is Taormina in, um, in, um, uh, uh, in Sicily. And um, uh, an ancient theatre, Greco-Roman thing. And, and uh, that was terribly difficult for them to, um, to set up for that, you know, because they couldn't get the truck near the thing. So they were up at five in the morning, you know, getting the gear to this ancient site and, and, and doing it. I believe Elton did it, whether he did it with a band or, or No, he, it did, it, he but, did it solo. There was just too much to get the whole band over there. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, can, I can imagine that. And But, uh, you know, so, you know, we finished late because Italian gigs are late. They go on late there. And and um, and so, you know, I mean, they're, they're, these guys are up pretty, practically 24 hours at at a stretch doing this kind of stuff and uh yeah. so roadies yeah. are, are are the real heroes 
of this. You know, they, I totally are... agree with you, Steve, and I'm I'm really glad you brought this up, man. I'm really glad you you, you brought this up because I'd love to say that that I mean, with the tour that we're doing right now, or have been doing for the last six years, or however it is, including the COVID time, uh, the staging is gigantic. It's enormous, and what they have to do, uh, the video the video walls and the whole thing, the production factor. Um, it's unbelievable. Our crew are absolutely incredible. And as you say, they're the real heroes. They're the unsung heroes. And all the way from our front of house sound guy, I mean, Matty Harris, our front of house guy, his assistant, Nick, who's a wonderful Australian um, PA person who actually made me an amp. You might be interested in Steve. Right. It's, um, it's about... It's about this size. It's um, made from a, a little, a, 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 an old tube, uh, what do you call it? Um, a thing of hair gel and a, a tub of hair gel. And he obviously cleans out the hair gel and then he, he picks it up and you've got a one watt amp. It just sounds amazing. It's really? just screaming. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's really? fantastic. But anyway, all these, these road crew people are, and there's a calling for them, everybody as much as it's a calling for us to play music, I believe. Because yeah. anybody who's willing to be as loyal as they are because they love a band's music or whatever, uh, because that's the way it is for our, with our crew anyway. They absolutely love what we're doing. And we try and give back to them, you know, hanging out with them. And we'll get to be backstage with them occasionally, if not for COVID. But yeah, they're, they're the ones who, who really deserve. Yeah. I've actually got to hit it. It's 2.59. I've got it. I, I know it's much earlier than you, Steve. No, yeah. Listen, I got. I must say, thank you so much for. We're for being we're we're both challenged for time in, in in our own way here, but it's been great yes. talking and it's been great hooking up with both of yes. you. Yes, thank you. And uh, yes, we'll do it again at some point. I'm sure. I'd love to. Are you in London? Yeah, London, Teddington. That's it. Whereabouts are you? You're you're. I'm out in California. I'm I'm just north California. of LA. So, right. So okay. yeah, but, but we'll be over next year to do some shows yes. in the. And like oh, May or June, hope to like hook that. up. Hope to hook yes. up. I'd love to come to a show. Love Fantastic. to. Fantastic. And you're Fabulous. welcome to come to, to uh, ours, of course. You know. Lovely. Like I'd love my to. guys. Yeah. 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 Sure. All right, all guys. Right. Thank you. Thank you. Take, Take care. care. Be the best, Joel. Yeah, all the best to you, man. Cheers. Take Cheers. Care. Bye, Steve. Bye, bye. Cheers, David. <laughs> Thanks for watching. Don't forget to like and subscribe by clicking the round button on the bottom right. To learn more about me or the guests on the show, go to joelrody.com. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok. The handle's Joel Rody. And don't forget, when you party like a rock star, don't be a dick. <laughs>